Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, as we continue our our series Healed, we're going to be tackling something that's probably going to be hard for many of us. See, what we've been doing is we've we've been taking just some time to try and set things the way that they need to be in our lives. As we've talked about how, how as we've gone through so much, as we've walked through so much as a church, as a people, as a society, as individuals, and it's taken its toll on our lives and it's taken its, its toll on who we are and, and how we're able to operate. We, we've been talking about how we want to take some time and just ask God to set things right. That we don't just want to try and move on as if nothing happened and just pretend that, that the, the COVID and, and all the stuff that went along with it and all the issues and all of the challenges that we face as a society that we don't just want to be like, hey, nothing was ever wrong. Let's just move forward and pretend none of that ever happened. But that's like learning how to walk on a broken leg. You, you can do it, but it's not the best way to move forward. It's not the best way. The best way that we can go from here is not just pretending that nothing ever happened. But that if we can, we can lean into to our God, into our Savior, into our healer, and that he can set and heal our broken leg, and then we can walk forward in strength and confidence. And so we've been talking about what that looks like, and we've talked about what it looks like for God to heal our broken relationships. To, to heal those, those relationships that, that have been strained, that have been pushed, that have been prodded, that, that perhaps have been broken. And coming to, to Jesus and looking for him to heal. And last week, we talked about what it looks like to heal from our anger. That, that in our lives and in society and just in the world around us, there's so many things that can make us angry. And so last week, we just, we came and if you remember, if you were here, it got you to write down what you were angry about and drop your note card in, that, in the baskets and then leave it here. And go, and hopefully there was some catharsis and there was some healing that, that took place in your life because of that. That as you were able to just leave behind the things that hurt, the, the things that made you angry. And you're able to just write them down and then leave them. Hopefully there was some, some, something that was able to take place in your life. Some healing that would take place in your life because of that. But this week we're going to tackle something else. Something that, that is, might be a challenge for, for many of us, because for all of us, our hearts are going to be in different places surrounding this thing that we need healing from in our lives. Today, we're going to, be talk, we're going to talk about being healed, being set free from the sin in our lives is we're going to talk about what it looks like for God to heal us from the sin that has found a home in our lives. And again, with with so many of the things that have gone on in our world, there's been lots of opportunities for sin to find a home 
in our lives, practically or emotionally, that, that maybe we've been spending a little bit too much time alone lately and started watching or, or looking at things to pass the time that are things we shouldn't be watching or looking at. Maybe the stress, worry, loneliness, isolation caused us to look for comfort in someone or something that isn't what God had for us. Opinions and ideas have caused us to become arrogant or judgmental or, or to become unloving of the people around us. Now, now, for some this morning, and, and this is where there's going to be a wide array. Some will say, oh, thank God, I've been wanting to get this thing dealt with in my life. I just haven't known which way to turn. But I know, I know exactly what needs to be dealt with in my life. But for some here today, you may be as aware as the people we just talked about of perhaps what needs to be dealt with in your life. But it's a little more complicated for you. It's a little, it's, it's a thing, but it's, I'm not quite sure what I think about this thing. We're not quite sure what is happening in our lives and not quite sure what our response in our life needs to be. See, sin is a difficult thing for us to talk about. The, the church has had differing relationships even with the, with the idea of sin over the years. And, and we've seen this transitions that take place inside the way we relate to sin that, that, that sometimes as the church we can be really hard on sin and really legalistic and, and really this is what the word of God says and if you fall short, you fall short. And then there's been seasons where as a church, not just us as a church, but the church has, has really swung the other way. And it's been, hey, grace for everyone and grace for everything. And it's fine. And sin is not really, you know, it's just an opportunity for God to show grace in your life. And, and we've swung back and forth and back and forth. But, but it, it's difficult for us to talk about sin as, as believers, especially when it relates to our own lives, because it can really leave us with a sense of guilt and a sense of shame and a sense of somehow that, that I'm probably the only one who struggles with sin. That, that that's a thing that we can fall into the trap of believing, a thing that we can fall into the trap of, of you know, as, as the pastor talks about sin, it, it, immediately I start to feel guilt and I start to feel shame. And, and we can sometimes use terms like, like struggle or mistake or talk about being on a journey. But friends, dealing with sin honestly will help us find victory from it in our future. That if we really want to move forward in the fullness and the strength and the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, we need to move forward with, with dealing with sin. We need to. If you, if you look at the Greek, the original language that the New Testament was, was written in, the word for sin is harmonato. And it, it means to be mistaken. But if you really study biblical language, the, the picture that the word paints, the, the best way to understand this would be to say that it means to miss the mark. And, and it actually comes from, from archery. That, that, that's where the word comes from. That, that's where it originates from. Someone harmonatoed when they didn't hit the middle of the target. 
That's, so that's, that's what it means to, to, to sin. What, what the word sin means is there's a target that we're meant to hit with our lives, with our actions, with our words, with the way we relate to each other. There, there's this target that we're meant to hit. And we didn't. And that's, that's what sin means. Now I want to I want to talk just for a moment as as we explore this I I want to talk just for a moment about about an example of sin and and help us to understand in case in your life right now even as we're talking about this you might be getting uncomfortable because you're not quite sure what to do and how to deal with it and and all of these kinds of things and is it okay if I'm a sinner and and all of these kinds of things well in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 We read about the prophet Samuel coming to Saul. Saul was the king of Israel at the time. And so the prophet Samuel, he was kind of, in the Old Testament times, there was one person who really spoke on behalf of God, and that was the prophet. And at this time, it was a man named Samuel. And so Samuel, the prophet who speaks on behalf of God, comes to Saul, the king of Israel, and tells him it's time for you to be replaced. And Samuel says this about the new king says this about the person who God has chosen. He says, um, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has sought out someone who has a heart after God's own heart. Now, that's quite an endorsement. That I'm sure that every one of us would love to have that said about us, and I'm also sure that every one of us would feel deeply insecure about saying that about ourselves. That if I was to say, if I, as the pastor of the church, was to come up and say, I've got a heart after God's own heart, you might think it's a good thing we're talking about sin this morning, because you've got some pride you've got to deal with. That, that, you know, that, that it, it, but, but this is what God says about David. He's got a heart after my own heart. Now, we can imagine what a person's life must look like to be described that way. Well, what, if we were to look at the, somebody whose, whose life is lived out of a heart after God's own heart, he must be a pretty good dude. He must, he must have a lot going. He must be an, you know, like Billy Graham, maybe. But like, there's got to be, this, this has to be a good guy. Well, a couple of decades later, that man after God's own heart, he has an affair with a married woman, resulting in a pregnancy. And then he successfully plots to kill her husband, so that he can take that woman as his wife. In this one event, King David, the man after God's own heart, in this one event, broke nine of the Ten Commandments. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He lied about his sin. He stole him for herself. He committed adultery. He murdered her husband. He dishonored his parents. He made an idol out of Bathsheba. And he shamed God and his name. Thank God it didn't happen on the Sabbath. Unless it did. In which case he got all ten. This is a man after God's own heart. And the best thing we can say about this is at least he didn't do it on the Sabbath. 
He only got 9 out of 10. Why did a man after God's own heart do this? Why do we sin? How do we defeat temptation? And what do we do when we don't? See, when temptation strikes, our our flesh has such a difficult time saying no because we're weak. Because it's weak. And so what we need to do is we need to be able to understand how to have victory over sin in our lives. See, see, our flesh isn't going to somehow not be weak. That it, we, we, you know, as we, as we serve the Lord, our flesh can grow in strength. But we're, we're never going to come to a place where we can walk confidently going, sin's no longer a thing for me. My flesh, it's no longer, so, so what we have to be able to talk about, what we have to be able to explore, what we as followers of Jesus have to be able to do is how to understand how we walk in dealing with the sin in our lives. Not just how, I cannot preach a sermon to you because it would be dishonest to stand up here and say, here's five steps to not sinning anymore. That's not good for anybody. Because by the time you get home, somebody's caught you, cut you off in traffic or whatever, or somebody buttoned front and line you at the restaurant or whatever, and it's all out the window. I can't teach you how to not sin. But what we can do together is we can explore how to deal with our sin so that we can work towards gaining control over the flesh in our lives and making it stronger. And when we do fall short, how do we handle it? Because mark it down. Sin always leads to death. James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Sin always leads to death. Something always dies as a result of sin, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally. When we sin, the result of sin, the result of full-grown sin in our lives, it's death. Now, it may not always be physical death. There are sins. You know, you murder someone, well, there you go. But there's parts of every story that surround sin that result in death. And if you want to see the reality of this in David's life that we talked about, you can, you can read 2 Samuel chapter 12 to see the devastation that came as a result of sin. And so, how do we... How do we live our lives, not in sin, but how do we live our lives learning how to deal with sin? And today I want to talk to you about four things that that we need to do in our lives, four things that that we need God to help us do, four things. Some of them are are things we can do, some of them are things God has to do in us, but four things to, to really be healed from the effects of sin in our lives and move forward in health. The first thing that, that we need to do, and, and this is going to be a little bit tricky because we're going to use a word that, that you don't hear very often in church. So, so bear with me. But the first thing that we need to do is we need to hate our sin. See, hate's not a word we use in church. And in fact, we're told that hate's not a good thing. 
and, and we're, we're taught to love. And, and, and you know, that, that you're not, we're not supposed to hate. That's, this is something that Christians should not be about. Our faith is about love. There's no, there's no room for hate. But there is this place in Scripture, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that tells us, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Without the hating of evil and sin, we diminish our ability to love. For us to love in a sincere way, where love must be sincere, we have to hate some things deeply. Hate is the precursor to cling to what is good. That, that if you want to cling to what is good, you have to hate what is evil. You cannot have a little bit of good and a little bit of evil and say, oh, I'm going to just cling to the evil or I'm going to cling to the good, but drag along all my evil baggage. Knowing exactly what you're hating is critical. And, and so take a moment and bring to mind the ugliest sins that maybe have a hold of your life right now. And when I say bring your worst, bring them all. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, stealing, murder, adultery, coveting, pornography, alcohol, drugs, deceit, sensuality, racism, envy, slander, food, spiritual pride, gossip, bitterness, rudeness, boast, boastfulness, or whatever it looks like in your life. Now, instead of ignoring our sin, instead of dumbing down our sin, Instead of winking at our sin, we need to learn to hate it. And this is, this is one of the great battlegrounds that we will ever have in our lives. Is learning how to see and understand our sin in its proper context. Because the thing that the enemy finds as, as our, our greatest Weakness, our greatest point where he can, can get us is that we are able to justify away just about anything in our own lives. We're going to talk about this more in a moment. But I, I've had people say to me about things in their life, look, I know it's wrong, but, or I know the Bible says it's wrong, but I'm not entirely sure that I think what the Bible says is true about this anymore. Or it, it, it makes me feel better. Or it makes me a better person. Or no one knows about it. It's not hurting anyone. How bad can it be? All, all the things that we say to justify sin in our own lives. How bad can it be? But the first thing that we need to do, if, if we have sin in our life and we say, I want to be free from this sin, is we need to hate our sin. There's the story of, of Jesus and the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he tells him, he says, Master, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus says, you need, to, you need to keep all of these rules. And, and the guy says, no problem. Done that since I was a kid. And Jesus said, oh, there's just one more thing you need to do. You, you need to sell everything and give all that you have away to the poor. And, and the conclusion of that story 
is that the rich young ruler goes away sad. And the reason the rich young ruler goes away sad is because when Jesus said, this is the thing that you need to do in order to deal with the sin in your life, he'd rather have the stuff and the sin than the freedom. He didn't hate the things that were keeping him apart from Jesus. He looked at that thing and said, no, we're going to hold on to that one. The second thing we need to do to shape our relationship with sin so, so that it puts us in a place to be able to find victory is, is we, first, we have to hate our sin. Second, we have to expose our sin. Once we've identified in our lives what it means that we've got sin in our lives, that, that I, I've fallen short, I've got this thing in my life and I want to hate it, the, the thing that we have to do then is we have to expose it. Like we said, you and I, we're able to convince ourselves about just about anything. And we're, we're really able to justify just about anything to ourselves. But a lot of the time when we bring our justification, when we actually have to verbalize it, when we actually have to speak it, when we actually have to share it with someone, sometimes we're confronted by just how ridiculous our justification can sound. Several years ago, many, many, many years ago, when I was a youth pastor, uh, one of the kids in my youth group, I think he was about 15 or so, we'll say that he was about 15 at the time, um, we had, had signed up, or we had signed him up, he was struggling with looking at things he shouldn't on the internet. And we had signed up for one of those accountability things, and, and I was his accountability partner as his youth pastor. And I, I would get all these notes about all these websites that he's looking at that he shouldn't. And so he would come into my office and we'd talk about it. And, and, one, and so at one point we, we sat down and we just, okay, we need to talk about this. And he said to me, this 15-year-old boy said to me, don't worry, Pastor Brad. It's okay. I'm just doing research. And I said to him, I said, I don't know what you're researching, but you need to stop. I don't know what it is that you think you're researching, but you're not researching it. You're 15 years old. You're not researching anything. It's not, but in his mind, he was, it's okay. Now, we can chuckle at that, but you and I do that all the time. That if I was to share with you the reasoning behind some of the things that I've accepted in my life or you were to share with me, we would look at each other and go, really? That's the best you got? That's why you, no, you're smarter than that. We convince ourselves of something that, that makes perfect sense to us because we want it to. But when we expose our sin, our motivation suddenly, and our motivation suddenly, we're, we're forced to see things in a different way. John 1.1 will tell us this. It will say this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. But verse 8 goes back and says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
But how do we move? So, so how do we move from the darkness? Like, how do we live in this light that it says we can live there? But if we have sin in our lives, how do we, how do we get out of the darkness of sin and into light? Well, verse 9 will tell us this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Look at the powerful effect of the confession of sin. Look at the power that comes from the acknowledgement, from the exposing of our sin, that it allows us to walk in a different relationship with God, that, that if we confess our sin, it doesn't say if we can justify our sin. Or if, if we just sin in ways we're comfortable with and we think God might be okay too. The power of moving from darkness into light, the power of transformation comes from exposing it and saying, this is what's going on in my life. We need to come before God. Say, these are the things that are going on in my life. We need to tell God what sin or sins have a grip on us. He knows already. It's not that somehow God is, we come to God and God say, I'm dealing with this. And God goes, really? Huh. You sure did a good job. I, I had no idea. How? Wow. God already knows. But it's like with my kids. They'll do something. I know they did it. They know that I know they did it. Everybody is aware of what's happening. But sometimes you got to sit down and say, Theo, what happened? I don't know, Dad. I don't know. I walked into my room and it was broken. I don't know what happened. Like, Theo, I, I don't know. Well, how did it break? Well, Owen was doing, wait, no, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's not that somehow I'm unaware. But there's power in the confession of like, okay, dad, I did it. And as followers of Jesus, there's power in the confession of, okay, Dad, I did it. And as we come to our Heavenly Father, it's important that we know that He already knows. We're not breaking news, we're not coming to Him with this idea. He already knows and He loves you. In fact, in this moment where we come to him to confess our sin, we have never been more loved and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Period. Number three, so we need to hate our sin. We need to expose our sin. Number three, we need to attack our sin. Attacking sin is all about taking measures to put to death whatever sins are killing us. 
figuring out how to deal with their sin on a practical level. Jesus will say this. This is not a, a text that we hear talked about a lot, but it, Jesus will say this. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, Jesus is using some hyperbole here. That I, now, maybe not. But what, he, what he's getting at here is that if we say we hate our sin and we want to be free from our sin, there's a point where the rubber meets the road. And we have to make a choice about what this looks like. In Proverbs chapter 7, we, we read a story of a young man who, who gets involved with a married woman, reaping all the short-lived moments of satisfaction. But, but early in this, this story, there's this moment where, where we're told that he took the path towards her home. That's the moment where the battle was lost. That's the moment where things went the way they shouldn't. He should not have gone down that path. It was too much pressure. The minute he chose to do that, it was too much. Cutting off the path to sin usually prevents us from walking in sin. Preemptive strikes work. And so we, we apply the same approach for anything that's killing us and, and needs to be killed. If you have a credit card weakness, leave it at home. Cut it in half. Melt it. But, but don't have it handy. Ever. If wine or beer or alcohol or drugs are owning you, get them out of reach. And find those trigger points or trigger people and remove them as much as possible. If, if social media is devouring your time, put limits on your electronics. If you're looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, get rid of your internet. I know it sounds crazy, but I need... Huh? But if I don't... Huh? But, uh, if we hate this thing and we want to get control over Jesus says, cut off your foot, man. And I say, but I, I don't, I, 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 there's some benefit to Facebook. When we hate the things that are going on in our lives, we're charged with doing something about it. Jesus doesn't say, you know, if your foot causes you to stumble, just, just walk with a limp. Or if your foot causes you to stumble, just 
Trust that one day your foot will stop hurting. If your foot causes you to trouble, trouble, do something about it. We have to attack our sin. And this is not some term unique to, to me. Or this is not some just idea. God invented the idea of dealing with sin by putting it to death. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 it will say this. Put to death therefore. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, doesn't say learn to live with it. Put to death is strong language. But this is the heart and the attitude that we're supposed to have towards sin. Romans chapter 6 We'll say this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. We get this picture in the word of God that dealing with sin is, it's like a bloody battle. Something has to die. Either we put sin to death or we see the sin of death, or the death of sin, sorry. We see the death that comes from sin that we talked about earlier in our lives. With God's grace, courage, and the right support, you can put anything to death that's killing you. So we need to hate our sin. We, we need to... I can't remember the Expose our, I couldn't remember the word. We need to hate our sin. We need to expose our sin. We need to attack our sin. The last thing that we need to do, and this is hopefully where, where if, the, if you're feeling guilty or you're feeling ashamed, that hopefully this is the moment in your life where in the moment in this message where it can turn from guilt or shame to hope for a better tomorrow because the last thing that we have to do with our sin is we have to trust our sin to God. No matter what you've heard in your past, no matter perhaps what's been told to you in the past, I want to make sure right here, right now, you hear the truth of God in your present and the truth of God for your future. There's no sin that you can commit. There's no sin that you have committed that can't be forgiven by our good God. You can say amen to that. There is no sin in your life that God cannot forgive. No matter the size, the scope, the scale, that even as I'm talking, you may be feeling so guilty and so, maybe not, but maybe you are feeling so guilty and so overwhelmed. And you think, oh, I don't know if God can forgive. God can forgive. The deep, dark secret you've committed that no one knows about, it's forgivable. The person you betrayed, it's forgivable. The hateful words you've spoken, they're forgivable. There may be something coming to mind that makes you hate yourself. We all have these moments if we just simply confess it, we receive forgiveness and we can live free. In fact, it's as easy as this prayer. Heavenly Father, I know what I did was wrong. Please forgive me for my sin. Help me turn from my sin 
and walk in the freedom you offer me. God has forgiven you for your past sins and he will forgive you for your future sins. Stand on it. Jesus has gone before you. His death covered all sins and that means all of yours. All of everyone's. His sacrificial act on the cross settled the issue. As a Christ follower, you have forgiveness of sins, abundant life on earth, and eternal life in heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. I want to go back to a verse that we read that we needed, showed us something we needed to do. But I want to remind you of the promise. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sin does not need to define you. It does not need to consume you. Sin is exhausting. Especially when you're battling in secret and you see no way to get a win. You can't hide it, can't deny it, can't choose to deal with it another day. We need God's freedom. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word will tell us that it is for freedom you've set us free. And God, I thank you that in this moment, in this place, there are hearts and there are lives that are being set free. God, there, there is sin, there is habitual sin, there is moments, there are things in people's lives that are being uncovered and they're being conquered in this moment. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, just as we talked about this fresh wind that would blow in our lives because it's Pentecost Sunday, God, may the wind of the Holy Spirit blow in our lives and blow in this place and blow out the sin. God, the sin in our lives, the sin that we've been holding on to, the sin that we hate, the sin that we don't want to hold on to, but the sin we haven't been able to get rid of, God, in this moment, would your wind come and blow our sin out? God, we don't want to carry around our sin anymore. We don't want to be slaves to sin, but we want to walk free. And God, my prayer for each one of us here today, my prayer for each one of us who raised our hand, those who didn't, those who should have and didn't, God, would you help us to be free from sin today? God, all of the sin, all of the things that we've, we've picked up, we've allowed to grow, God, that we know isn't right, but yet, God, here we are. God, we thank you that in this moment, God, we've never been more loved. In this moment, you have never loved us more than right now. That if, if there is whispers of shame in the name of Jesus Christ, we command them to be silenced. If there's whispers of guilt in the name of Jesus Christ, we command them to be silenced. Your love for us has never been greater. And God, I thank you for the promise in your word that says that if we confess our sin, as we've, we've opened ourselves up to the expression that there is sin in our lives, God, I'm thankful, thankful that you are faithful and just, and that you have forgiven us of our sin this morning. And so God, I pray that as we walk free from this place, God, may we walk free. 
May we leave behind the sin and the weight that so easily entangles. And may we walk from this place with a newness and a freshness and a freedom in our lives to be able to be all that you've created us to be. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing, for the freedom that you're bringing, and for the new abundant life that you're giving. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm praying God come. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. I'm praying God come and turn this thing around. Oh yes, God turn it around. God turn it around. God turn it around. I'm calling on the name that changes everything. Oh yeah, yeah. God turn it around. God turn it around. God turn it around. Cause all of